So to kind of get us going into this uh, text this morning from John chapter 6, we're talking about Jesus as the bread of life. I need to tell you guys a story. Back, um, oh man, I'm trying to think of the time frame here. Probably like 2011, 2012 maybe, uh, I found a new car, that I, not a new, it was a used car, but it was my car that I drove for a few years. It was 2002 Toyota 4Runner. And I uh, love that car. I still think fondly of that car. I drove it about 100,000 miles. I did handyman work out of it. All kinds of fun, cool stuff with that car. But about a few years into driving that car, that, that SUV, uh, I began to crave and long for a different car. You see, a 4Runner, a 2002 4Runner, has the shifter on the, and the console in between the two seats, all right? And in my head, I really began to just think, oh man, if I could just have a truck with a shifter on the column, wouldn't it just feel so smooth just shifting that thing down into drive and let's go, baby, right? There was something in my head and in my heart around this idea that if I just had a truck with a shifter on the column, I'd feel cool, I'd look cool, and life would be so much better for me. Silly, isn't it? And what happened when I got the, the Suburban with the shifter on the column, right? <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Oh, man, it's, it's certainly a gift from God to have that car. But do you think, does the craving, now I want a different car, right? There's a craving in our souls, and we attach these longings and these hungers to things around us, things that we can touch, see, taste, feel, for our identity, for a sense of I am good in and of myself, all right? And I want to just talk today about that sense of hunger that we have that Jesus is talking about here. i got to set up the first, I don't know, half-ish of this chapter before we get to where we're going to kind of land today. Beginning of chapter 6, Jesus is in Galilee, which is kind of the northern part of Israel. Uh, there's a big lake there about seven miles wide called the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is around the Sea of Galilee, and there's a huge crowd of people following him. So he feeds about 5,000 people uh, miraculously, of course, because he's uh, kind of like making the bread more and more and more. He's, he's got two loaves and some fish. And out of that, he supplies bread and fish to feed uh, these thousands of people. And the crowd is all excited because not only do they, are they eating and having, their, having a free meal, which they really needed because they're trying to travel on foot following Jesus around, but they also, in that, they see a sign. Oh, this just might be the Messiah. Let's follow him around and see what's going on here, all right? And so the crowd, so then Jesus does this miracle. The crowd's chasing after him. He wants to get away from the crowd, so he hikes across the lake like you do, and he just, just right across all the way to the village of Capernaum, which is sort of his home base village, and the crowd of people follows him. Uh, they come chasing after him in boats, or they walk around the lake, and they get to Capernaum, and they find Jesus, and they ask, Rabbi, when did you get here? And now here's where we're going to pick up at verse 26 in chapter, five, in chapter 6. They ask him that question, when did you get here? Jesus doesn't answer the question. Here's what he says. 
Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate your loaves, ate the loaves and had your fill. And I want to just stop right there, because even in just those few words, Jesus exposes their need and our need as well, all right? He knows that the crowd needs actual food, and he actually meets that need. He knows we have physical needs, and he met that need in that space in that day. But he also knows that there is a deeper need that they have, and he's beginning to hint at that, and that's where he's going to go in these next uh, few verses, all right? He knows that the deeper need that we all have is for what he calls eternal life. Now, John uses a Greek word here that I think it's important to point out because if I, there's two ways I can talk about life with you guys this morning, right? I can say, how's life? And what I mean by that, right, is how's your family? How's your job? How's, how's everything? How's your heart doing? What's going on in your life? But I can also say to you, is he or she alive? Are you alive? Do you have, right? Like I can talk about the biology of having a pulse or a heartbeat. In Greek, there's a Greek word, bios, and John doesn't use that word. He uses this other word a lot, zoe, all right? And this zoe, if there's any zoes in here, that's the same thing, all right? Uh, zoe is this eternal or everlasting life. And what it's talking about, when we talk about eternal life, we're talking about God's own self-existence, just God being who God is, existing as who, just as all that he is, his perfection, his perfect might, right, all of it. His life then gets shared with us. That's everlasting life that John's talking about. And it's a quality of life, a quality of life that is rich, that is fulfilling, that is satisfying. And so Jesus is saying, I know that you guys need this bios life, but you actually also need this zoe life as well. But he realizes what is just basic to all humanity since the fall, all right? the condition that we're all in, is that we all seek bios solutions to this zoe life hunger that we have built within us. The shifter on the column. The new job, the new house, the right weight, the right clothes, the affirmation of the people around me, the right man or woman next to me, the next drink, the next click on the screen. Some of those things aren't actual physical things, but they are bios solutions. They're the vertical or the, the horizontal, the, the things around me, right? And the people around me I'm trying to use to fill the hunger that I have for something that I was made for that's much deeper than the horizontal only. And I just want to start there. What is that need? If you, are you aware of that need? And what are those ways that you're trying to fill that need this is why at Evergreen we talk about recovery being for everyone. Recovery is for everyone because we all have ways that we do this in our lives. We want to circumvent God and meet our own hunger our own way. And so as Jesus goes on in this text, 
he begins to uncover more, not only their need, but also their motivation, which is also a bit of our motivation. They then start looking for a more spiritual way to meet that Zoe need that they have. And we need to start by going back all the way to the book of Exodus. In Exodus, Moses is appointed by God to lead his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt and out of slavery, across the Red Sea, and into the desert. And they get into the desert, and they've already seen God provide for their bios needs, right? And they've seen him deliver, but they start complaining that they're hungry. And so God provides this substance that is magically kind of shows, miraculously, shows up on the ground outside of their tents when they wake up in the morning, and it's this daily substance called manna. And I think it's an interesting little tidbit that manna actually means, what is it? All right, they got up and they're like, they opened up their doors and they're like, what is this stuff? It's like a question mark and an exclamation point is literally what it means in Hebrew, all right? And I think it's interesting that part of what's going on as John's kind of relating this story about Jesus here is that the crowd of people has that same reaction to Jesus who's saying, I have bread that I want to give you. They're like, what, what is it? As they look at Jesus, they don't quite understand. And so Jesus says, he starts talking about this bread from heaven, it's bread from God. And so the crowd says, um, what works must we, oh, oh, you have some sort of bread you want to give us. What do we need to do to get that? Jesus must have some sort of manna 2.0. And what do we need to do, Jesus, so that we can have that benefit? And the motivation that they have, and that I think we can have too, is that we partner with God. We just want to know, tell me the steps, all the steps that I need to do, the hoops I need to jump through, so that I can have my hunger filled in the way that I want in my life. And I think we can do this in a spiritual way too. The what works must we do. What must I consume or what can I consume to help me fill that hunger? I think we as churchgoers can do that too. I think it's possible to do a lot of religious things and consume a lot of Jesus content, but not somehow, it's really strange how it happens, but we can consume a lot of Jesus content, but not truly be entered into a give and take relationship with Jesus. We cannot be actually eating of the bread of life that he is. Do enough Bible studies, read enough devotionals, volunteer in the places that we need to volunteer. Those are good things, all right? Those are a part of the life of the people that are trying to get to know Jesus, but we can do the things without actually knowing Jesus. It's possible to come to church and do all of those things and not truly eat of him. And so, at Evergreen, I need this. What we're about together as a community, we're not trying to um, provide some religious goods and services for all of us to consume. We're, it's a little bit different. It's a nuanced difference from that because there are opportunities, right? We're trying to create opportunities, but those opportunities are only meant to create space and create ways for us together 
to actually feast on Jesus, to actually be in relationship to God and to Jesus, to feed on him as he is, not as we would like him to be. It's a little bit of different motivation. And so the question remains underneath, the question remains in us, that hunger is there for this Zoe, rich, satisfying life. Is there truly an experience of life in which I can never be hungry or thirsty? And now I want to pick up Jesus' words to the crowd, starting at verse 32. They ask him about the manna. What sign are you going to give us to show us that you're going to provide us this stuff so that we can be filled with our lives? And Jesus says to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus is saying here, he's talking about how we can have our satisfaction. But it's a little bit of a different, what he, it's, we have to be able to hear and willing to hear what he has to say here. What he's saying is, I've not come to bring bread. I've not come to necessarily bring you all these benefits that you're looking for, but I've come to be the bread. I've not come to improve your life. I've come to be your life. In all these I am statements, Jesus is going right back to Exodus before the point where I just talked about with Moses. He's talking about where Moses first meets God in the early chapters of Exodus, at a burning bush, this bush that has a fire, but the bush isn't burning to the ground, and Moses meets God there, and, God, and Moses says, what's your name? And God says, when you go to my people and you go try to lead them out of Egypt, you tell them that I am has sent you. Jesus is referring back to that in all of these statements that we're going to be looking at these few weeks. I am, and what it means is, I am the one who is there. I am all in all. I am everything. And it also in, included in that, I am the one who is there for you. I am the one who is for you. It might not necessarily mean that our circumstances in our life get better. All you have to do is start looking at the characters of the Bible Jesus' own mom, Mary, did her life get better? If you look at her life circumstances, did her circumstances get better? And you start reading the stories of the people that follow Jesus, their circumstances don't necessarily get better. But Jesus is the bread of life for his people. Jesus is inviting us this morning to a life of a holy discontent, a life of longing that some of the needs, some of that hunger that we have will not fully be met yet on this side of heaven because we live in a fallen world. So what do we get now? How does Jesus satisfy us now in the midst of that hunger that we still have? 
overall, there is just this reality that God, who is all in all, who created us, made us, and made everything around, God is all in all. He wants to share his Zoe life, his eternal, everlasting life with us. He shares himself with us. And so we look back. We look back to Jesus, this human, this Messiah on the earth, and we look and we see his relentless pursuit of us. And we see that when he goes to the cross, he suffers, he suffers pain. He suffers temptation just like we do. And he takes our pain and our sorrow, our cancer, our relational brokenness, our grief and our loss that we live with almost from birth. And he takes it to the cross and he dies for it. And he comes out of the tomb and leaves it empty. We look back on that and that is where we begin to find the satisfaction in our life every day as Jesus becomes our daily bread of life. We look back not only to his cross and to his resurrection, but we look on the, our own lives and we see how he has carried us through those pains and those hard times. And we're reminded that he's enough for today. And in and now and every day that we hear and now in our daily lives, we have his presence. Our circumstances may not necessarily be all fixed, right? But he is still good underneath that. And we are held and loved by a God who is there, who has come to make all things right. Just that it's going to be on his timetable. And he's working a process in each one of us to help us learn to rely on him as the daily bread. To show us more and more of himself. The humanness of Jesus really is important here. It's important for us to know that He's been where we are. The things that we brought into this room this morning that we carry that are hard, he's been there. He's known what they are. He's known that temptation. He's known that hunger to meet that Zoe need in a bios way. He's dealt with the suffering and the pain that we deal with as a human. And yet he is God, the one able to conquer sin and death and brokenness and pain and longing and suffering and to work his life in us and work his life into the world to restore all things. He meets us in that space every day. He meets us. Where does God, where, where does God actually work in each of us except for in our actual lives? That's where God meets us. There's a quote, I forget who it's by. I think it might be Thomas Merton. God comes to us disguised as our life. It's interesting. God, where does God meet us and where does God work? But in our life, he's working to show us, to grow us, to grow our faith and our belief in him. And that's, that's what John, at the end of the gospel of John, that's what you find, is that he wrote the whole gospel so that we might believe and we might come to know, not just in our heads, but deep in our souls that Jesus is enough for us today. In the daily life of today, we get these tastes. 
We get a vision of the future. We get, we get each other for the journey. That's why community is so important. We get provision. We get strength for today. We get glimpse and foretastes of the future glory that is yet to be. And that glimpse and that foretaste, we had it last week here when we took communion together. The bread and the cup, his body and blood broken and poured out for us. Are that thing that we hold, one of those signs that we have that we hold on to and remember, Jesus is life for us. And we live in that holy discontent that we find so much all over the pages of Scripture, and I think particularly of the Psalms. I think of Psalm 23, such a famous psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet water. He does give the strength to get through today as hard and difficult as it can be sometimes. Psalm 27, a few psalms later. I'm confident of this. He goes, the first 90% of the psalm is crying out, my circumstances are awful, Lord. All right, and this is where it concludes. I'm confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That's the holy discontent that we hold. And we use the Psalms and we sing these songs to God. We hold that tension in those songs, don't we? Jesus, I know you're faithful and I'm just longing for you to do the work again, to be the bread that I need today. And that's our proclamation, not only to each other, but to the world around us, that Jesus is the one who satisfies us today and in whom we will find full, I mean, more than we can handle satisfaction one day. That is the promise of the future, the great feast to come. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just want to echo the words of Peter uh, at the end of this chapter. When you just look at the disciples, the few who are left, and you say, oh, are you guys going to go off and find an answer to the hunger your own way? And they respond to you and they say, where else can we go? You have the words of life. And we've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, feed us until we want no more. Amen.